See, Mary knew. I don't know if she knew well he was hanging on the cross, but she knew that she needed a Savior. And how wonderful it must have been. I'm fairly certain that Mary was among that 500 at once who saw Jesus alive. Or perhaps she was even in that upper room. But either way, I'm sure she saw him. And so she is rejoicing today in heaven, not because she was perfect, not because she's a special emissary between God and us, because the Bible says there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. She's rejoicing in heaven because God, her Savior, sent Jesus to die for her sins. When Simeon met them in the temple. Jesus is eight days old and he takes the baby from them. Which I don't know if that was awkward or not. Maybe they knew Simeon. Maybe they respected him and they understood that maybe he might want to see a baby. But then he takes the baby and he says these things. He says this baby will be a part of the rising and fall of many in Israel. And he said, a sword will pierce your own heart also. And I just have to wonder if as Mary is standing by the cross, watching Jesus die, if she reflects back and remembers Simeon's words. Because I'm sure that a sword was piercing her soul at that moment. And all she could think about was that baby in the cradle. Counting his hands, counting his feet, changing his diapers. All the things that a mother does. And yet there was a point in his life when he had to leave for ministry. I'm reminded of the um, wedding in Cana. When Mary said to Jesus... They have no wine. Now, to our knowledge, he hadn't done a miracle yet, but she had confidence that he could do something about the situation. And she said, they have no wine. And Jesus said this. Woman, what have you to do with me? My time is not yet come. And I can only imagine how rough that might have been. I I, I somehow picture it as the first time That he didn't call her mother. Showing her that even though he was her son, he was more. Because for most of us, if we call our mother woman, we would get slapped. Rightfully so. But Jesus, when he spoke, he spoke with authority. And she knew that he was right. So we see this story of mankind. The fact that we are hopeless. The fact that even the oldest among us often only live 70 or 80 years. But we're not even guaranteed that. I remember another friend of mine that passed away, Ryan Davis. He was in his 20s. 
I was at his funeral seven years ago, and I, I remember thinking about how short that was and how so many of us felt that he died too soon. And from our perspective, Dwayne did as well. But I remember sitting at that funeral and hearing all the things that Brian had done for Jesus. And I've heard this quote, and sometimes it becomes cliche, but I think it is true. It's not the amount of years in your life, it's the amount of life in your years. Jesus said, I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. That's the life that God calls us to. That's our best life now. You know, I see these things on Facebook that say, don't worry about other, what other people think. Just do what's best for you. And I understand the point. I understand that sometimes we can allow other people to drag us down and we should not do that. But I also know that's a worldly philosophy because the Bible says in Philippians chapter 2, let each esteem other better than themselves. Care not for the things of your own, but care for the things of others. Now, does that mean you never care for yourself? No, that, that's, a, that's a, def- a defeatist attitude. But Jesus said that one of the greatest commandments was to love your neighbor as yourself. It was second only to this one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And what I always tell the people what I always challenge people with, almost every time I preach is, would you rather live, even if you had 80 years, would you rather live 80 years serving yourself? Or would you rather live 80 years with a higher calling? With someone to serve? You see, we are made to serve. The question is not whether we were made to serve. The question is, who are we serving? Because Jesus said to the Pharisees, quite frankly, you are of your father the devil. I mean, that's the choice. Either your father is the devil, or your father is God Almighty who created heaven and earth. I don't know which one you want, but I know which one I want. I want my father to be the God who created heaven and earth. The God who bridged the gap between heaven and earth and allows me to be called a friend of God. Not only a friend, but a treasured son. The Bible says that I am a brother of Jesus. Because it calls him the firstborn of many brethren. Let's look um, very quickly at Hebrews chapter 4, 12 and 13. Incidentally, if someone gets there before I do, you can feel free to stand and read it, that would make it easier for me. Hebrews 4, 12, and 13. Go ahead. The word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword, it penetrates even to the divine soul and spirit, joints and marrow, it judges the thousand attitudes of the heart, nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. So that pretty much lays it out, doesn't it? There's nothing we can hide behind. No pretense, no act of service. One other thing I want to to challenge you with, especially those of you 
working here at camp. I uh, definitely appreciate that ministry. I got to work at a Bible camp for five years. Those were some of the best times I can recall. But please don't mistake service for God with a relationship with God. You see, God wants to use you to do mighty acts of service. That is true. For we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus before the foundation of the world to do works that He before ordained for us that we should walk in them. That's very true. But He also wants... Also, there's a sense in which the work He does in you is more important than the work He does through you. And unless He's done a great work in you, He's very limited in what He can do through you. There's a verse that says, Lord, Lord, haven't we cast out demons in Your name? Haven't we done all these great works in Your name? And He will still say, Depart from Me, you cursed into everlasting punishment, for I never knew you. You see, though, the important thing is not to know about God. The important thing is not to know what He thinks about service. The important thing is to know God, and service will be an outgrowth of it. I think a lot of times we think, well, I have to serve God in this way. I have to do such and such. But you know what? If you know God, you will want to serve Him. You will not be able to not serve Him. I can't not preach. I heard a preacher once say that if you can do anything else but preach, do that. If you can't, then preach. I can't not preach. That's why I'm here today. Because God has given me a calling to preach and I'm never more fulfilled than when I'm teaching the Word of God. I tried to say no. I tried to make excuses, but just like Moses in the Old Testament, who incidentally were, were reading a psalm that he wrote, God said to Moses, I made your mouth. Go and do what I tell you to do and I will tell you what to say. See, it's not about what I have to say. It's about what God has to say through me. That's where the power is. All right. And uh, then if somebody could read James 4, um, 14 and 15. James 4, 14 and 15. James 4, 14 and 15. 14 and 15. Yep. If you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow, you are just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and also do this or that. Uh, I have taken to adapt this practice because I believe that it is real when I make a plan to do something I often will say the Lord willing because I don't know how days are going to change from one time to the next nobody dies without future plans I'm sure that if we were to look at my friend Dwayne's calendar, 
for the week after he died. There was stuff there. Even if it was simple as saying good morning to his kids or kissing them good night at the end of the day. He missed his birthday by just a week. His birthday would have been today. So there might have been plans in the works for that. You don't die without plans. And the Bible's not saying not to make plans. The Bible actually says the opposite in Proverbs chapter 6. It says, Go to the ant, thou slugger. Consider her ways and be wise, who, who store the food in the winter. Or store the food in, for the winter. So she's ready. So it's not saying don't make plans, but it's always saying to make sure that God has priority over your plans. There's an old saying that says, if you want to make God laugh, tell him your plans. Because he always has something a little different in mind than we ever expect. I was homeschooled pretty much my whole life. And so the last thing I ever expected was to be working in a school. But that's, <laughs> that's what God had in mind for me. And I'm so glad he did. Because I love my job. And I get to experience a lot of the fun school stuff that I didn't get to experience growing up. But I just think of God's sense of humor and I just chuckle because He knows. So, um, time, oh, I'm going to read this here. It says, there are two days in every week about which we should not worry. Two days that should be kept free from any fear or apprehension. One of these days is yesterday, which with its mistakes and cares, its aches and pains, its faults and blunders. Yesterday has passed forever beyond our control. All the money in the world cannot bring back yesterday. We cannot undo a single act we perform. We cannot erase a single word we said. We cannot rectify a single mistake. Yesterday has passed forever beyond recall. Let it go. The other day we should not worry about is tomorrow with its possible adversities, its burdens, its large promise and poor performance. Tomorrow also is beyond our immediate control. Tomorrow's sun will rise either in splendor or behind a mess of clouds, but it will rise. And until it does, we have no stake in tomorrow because it is as yet unborn. The leaves, that leaves us with but one day today and man can fight the battles of just one day yesterday and tomorrow are futile worries let us therefore resolve to journey no more than one day at a time robert j burdett sunshine magazine what wonderful wisdom that leads us to our third and final point which is thank god for his mercy and then live within it Psalm 90, verses 12 to 17 read, So teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long, lest it repent, let it repent thee concerning thy servants. Uh, return, O Lord, how long, and let it repent thee concerning thy servants. O satisfy us early with thy mercy, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. 
make us glad according to the days wherein thou hast afflicted us, and the years we have seen evil. Let thy work appear unto thy servants, and thy glory unto thy children. And let the beauty of the Lord our God be upon us, and established through the work of our hands upon us. Yea, the work of our hands establish thou it. So we just talked about the temporal nature of man and how man has nothing to lend himself to God. Nothing to be good enough. And yet, what does Moses ask for here? He asks for mercy. Your verse says, teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. What does that mean? I don't necessarily mean think it means that we need to write down every day and number them physically, although that wouldn't necessarily be bad. Many of us journal, and that's one way that we do that. I've journaled on and off. But I think the point is that to live in the constant reality that we don't know how long we have. To make the most of every day. Not only because of the fact that uh, we could die at any moment, but also because Jesus is coming back. I live with the reality that Jesus could come back at any moment. I know there's probably varying beliefs about that and the manner in which he is coming represented in our audience today. But one thing I hope we all can agree on is he's coming back. And he will set things right again. The Bible says that even creation groans for the return of Jesus. That's kind of an unbelievable thing to consider. That even the very creation is calling out for the return of its master. Because everything that was spoiled by the fact that sin entered the world will now be, now be set right. The lion will lay down with the lamb. I believe that will be a physical reality someday. A little child will lead these wild animals because they'll no longer be wild. Why? Because they became wild and started to fear men when sin entered the world. One day, that will be set at perfection. And then, Moses says, Satisfy us, verse 14, with your mercy. That's all we can ask for is His mercy. Because we certainly deserve justice. But you know what? My justice has been taken care of by Jesus. Because the Bible tells me in 2 Corinthians 5.21 that He who knew no sin became sin for me that I might be made the righteousness of God in Him. That's the promise of Almighty God. And then he says, Make us glad according to the days wherein thou hast afflicted us, and the years wherein we have seen evil. Let, the, uh, let thy work appear unto thy servants, and thy glory unto thy children. And let the beauty of the Lord our God be upon us. Even in the bad things, the beauty of the Lord can be upon us. I was born in May of 1979, which is it's a great month to be born. It's the late spring. It's the beginning of the summer season. 
I was actually born on Memorial Day weekend, so I used to pretend when I was a kid that some of the Memorial Day parades were in my honor. Um, I just thought that was the coolest thing, that we went to parades on my birthday or around my birthday. And I also thought it was great because my birthday was about six months into the year and Christmas was about six months later, so I felt gifts every six months, that's a great thing. But the problem was I was born at 29 weeks. I was born almost three months early. And uh, so when I was born, my lungs weren't fully developed. And when they put me on respirators to give me oxygen, the respirators blew holes in my lungs, causing the brain damage that put me in the wheelchair. My parents raised me to believe that God doesn't make mistakes. But for the first nine years of my salvation after I came to Christ at five years old, I argued a lot with God. I said, God, I could serve you so much more if you'd give me a, give me a whole body. If you'd, if you'd heal me from my, from my wheelchair, I could serve you so much more. And then when my, when my three-month-old baby brother, who was seemingly healthy, went to bed for a nap the morning of July 16, 1992, and passed away during that nap, I hit rock bottom. And I said, God... Why did you take him who is perfectly healthy and leave me who is useless? And I said, God, I don't want to live anymore. I said, I just want to go to heaven. I don't want to live anymore. And there were a couple of times when I'd be out in my front yard and think about how easy it might be just to drive my chair in front of cars. Now, most likely what would have happened is I would have gotten severely injured but not died and then been even more miserable. But I thank God for his hand that never left my shoulder that wouldn't allow me to do that. I thank God for parents that dragged me to church for the next year almost and I didn't want to go. I was mad. I was bitter. I didn't want anything to do with church. But I never turned my back on God because I knew he was real. I just was mad at him. And then out of that came my full surrender to Jesus at the age of 14 to where I said, wherever you send me, whatever you have me to do, I will proclaim your word to people. Do I always 100% fulfill that? No, but that's where the mercy of God comes in. He constantly gives me more opportunities. And I notice, you notice that when Moses is making this appeal, he's talking about the Lord's attributes because there's nothing good in us. So he says, satisfy us early with thy mercy that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. You want to rejoice and be glad all your days? Rest in God. Rest in what Jesus has done. A lot of religions today, it's about doing. It's about what do I have to do to be accepted by God? Christianity tells us the work is done. Now rest in that work. And then whatever work you do for Him is out of gratitude for the work that was done on your behalf. But it's not a requirement as much as it is a response. 
The natural response of your heart, surrender to God, will be one that does the work. Because you can't help it. I used to be in Toastmasters several years ago, and they would... They told me at one point that too many of my speeches that I did talked about Jesus. Well, it's pretty simple. Why? Because Jesus is the most important thing in my entire life. And if you're going to be around me, you're going to hear about him. Let's look at Ephesians 5, 15 to 17. And then if somebody can also be looking up Philippians 4, 4 to 6. We'll look at these very quickly. Just a little bit more about um, living in a life of thankfulness for God's mercy. Philippians 5, 15 to 17. Ephesians five fifteen to seventeen. All right. Five fifteen to seventeen. Yep. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Oh, therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. So we are to live in a way that reflects the fact that the passage of time is quick that we don't know how much time we have, and that we are to make the most of every day. I can't say this is true every day, but a lot of days, I wake up, and I can't wait to get out of bed to see what the day brings forth, because that's the hope. That's, that's the blessing of following Jesus, is knowing that He has a plan for you, even if it means sitting in the dark in your, in your dining room, for three hours yesterday with no power. But I, even that, I think, is a small mercy because I think it's easy to get distracted by things and technology and not realize that God still says, be still and know that I am God. And I still needed it. I still will for a few weeks, but I still needed to be praying through my grief and dealing with that in a very real way. God has made me to feel deeply for others, and sometimes I wish that he would turn that off. Because sometimes it hurts real bad. But I know ultimately that God made me the way he made me. All right, Philippians 4, 4 to 6. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing, but everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. I don't know about you, but I find it hard to rejoice in the Lord always. But it helps me to remember that the guy that wrote this was writing from a prison in Rome. And he was writing it not from the the posh prisons that we have now. And I can tell you from going into the Kent County Jail every month that compared to 
um, what Paul was going through, chained between two guards in a dungeon, that it's probably like the Ritz-Carlton by comparison, what they get to live in today. And yet Paul, in that very state, is saying, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. He says, Be anxious for nothing. Now, I'm an anxious person. Okay, I think it has, a lot of it has to do with the fact that I can't drive. I can't get myself around. So I, I, um, I get very anxious about the possibility of being left by myself somewhere by accident. I don't like going to festivals with a lot of people because it's hard for me to keep up with my people group, whoever I came with. Because for that split second or that 10 minutes or however long it is that you're separated from the ones that you love, from the ones that you care about, it can be very nerve-wracking. But God says, be anxious for nothing. And then he says, let your request be made known unto God by prayer and supplication. So he wants to hear from you. Jesus said, your father knows what you have a need of before you even ask him, but he still says, I want you to pray for it. I want you to be in communication with me. If you have a father, you know that your father, especially when you were younger and even now, wants to hear from you. He wants you to ask him questions. He wants to be able to answer those questions or walk with you through the non-answers. See, God doesn't always answer our questions the way we want him to. Job never found out, as far as I know, this side of heaven, why God took everything from him, but he still knew that God was a good God. And even though God had things to ridicule Job for at the end of the book, because Job was starting to get a little self-righteous there, and God basically takes him on a tutorial of creation and says, have you done this? Have you done this? Do you know how... The snow comes to be or or how the oceans were laid um, forth or can you draw Leviathan out of the sea with a hook? Can you do any of that stuff? And Job says no. As a matter of fact, Job puts his hand over his mouth. Says there's nothing I can say. And then God blessed Job with twice as much as he had before. But as far as I know, Job never found out this side of heaven. What? what that was all about. But he knew that God was still a good God. We may not know this side of heaven what all our struggles are about. But we know that God is a good God. I don't know why God decided to call Dwayne home at 41 years old. But God is a good God. I, You know, and that's another thing I've learned to do at funerals too is is just just be there for people. I, there was nothing I could say to Heather. There was no grand thing of wisdom that God imparted to me that said, this is why Dwayne left. All I could do was hug her and let her know that I was there for her. Because that is all you can do. I, I still remember being a little boy and being at the funeral home where my brother was laying in that casket and some well-meaning person from our church, older gentleman, said, are you still rejoicing? And I was like, what in the world are you talking about? How could I be rejoicing that my baby brother 
who incidentally was the only one that let me hold him at that young age, was gone. And still, 27 years later, it's still the worst day of my entire life. And just because of the fruit that God has grown from it doesn't make the day any worse. It just means that God walked me through it. Or any better, I should say. It just means that God walked me through it. So, I hope that we have seen through this how God can help us to live our best life while we have it. God has great things for us in store in heaven, but I also believe he wants us to live an abundant life now. He says, as much as lies with us to live at peace with all men. He says, to do good unto all men, especially those with a household of faith. He says, they'll know we are Christians. They'll know you are my disciples by your love for one another. So as you're working here at camp this summer, as you finish out the summer, I just want to say, finish strong and love one another because the kids are going to know if you're loving one another. And that is how they will know that they want to become disciples of Jesus Christ. And if you have not yet surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, I would encourage you to do so today. I'll be around afterwards for a few minutes and I would love to talk to you about how to begin this wonderful adventure of a life with Christ. I have first-hand testimony that it's not always easy. I didn't wake up the next day after I committed my life to Christ or even later after I committed to ministry and surrendered to Christ, being able to walk out of my bedroom. I still had to be gotten up. I still had to be dressed. I still had to have food put in front of me so I could eat it. But God was still good. Paul said, I besought the Lord three times to remove a thorn of the flesh from me. And he said, no, my grace is sufficient for you. For my strength is made perfect in your weakness. And Paul said this. He didn't say, now I'm going to mope because God said that. He said, no, most gladly then will I therefore glory in my infirmities. That the power of Christ may rest upon me for when I am weak then he is strong. See, it's about him, not me. Philippians 2.13, For it is God who worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. And he wants to do his good pleasure in you. Time is a pearl of great price, and the wise merchant men treasures it with great care, turns it to best advantage, Dr. Parker said to a student, Do not gallop through the scriptures. Go slowly and look around. The speed of our travel today looks like an effort to redeem the time. But what does the like, but, um, the speed of our travel today looks like an effort to redeem the time. But what does the swift traveler see of wayside flowers? What does the swift traveler, or what does he hear of the songs of birds? What does he do with the time he is he is supposed to have saved. 
It means seeking the best things that may be available, taking time to be holy. For more, for holiness is more precious than rubies. Take time to pray. The minutes are not lost that are taken from human engagements and given to waiting on God. Work exhausts our strength, but waiting in God renews it. Thus, this is an invaluable investment of time. It means seizing opportunities to do good. May we all seize opportunities to do good. And may we aspire to hear those words one day, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of thy rest. I firmly believe that my friend Dwayne has heard these words because he was all about investing in other people. He was an extremely gracious person to me, and it took us about four years to go from acquaintance to friendship because I assumed things about him that weren't true. And fortunately, I was able to repent to him of that personally. And he became a very dear friend of mine and taught and it taught me a valuable lesson about judging people too quickly and too harshly. So if I can encourage you with that too, as you're working with one another this summer, and as you're encountering other people this summer, that you be not too quick to judge. The Bible says that man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. We already talked about how the the word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword. And one of the things is that it pierces the heart and shows its true content. So if I can leave you with one final thing, it is live your best life now. Because you don't know about later. All you can worry about is today because tomorrow's past or today's past, tomorrow's in the future. Yesterday's past, tomorrow's in the future. All you can worry about is today. And all you can really worry about is the next few moments. But know that God will be with you. Whether you are here at camp or whether you yourself are walking through the valley of the shadow of death. He will be with you. For if you have accepted him, if you believe him at his word, he says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for these gifts of wisdom from Moses, from Psalm 90. Lord, we pray that we would number our days and be diligent with the time that we have. We pray that we would love fiercely. We pray that we would bear one another's burdens. And we pray that we would be the best us that we can be through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.